As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, woe at West Ham as Chelsea lose their grip on top spot. Joy at Wembley as the Blues claim the FA Cup. We look ahead to the final group stage game in the Champions League and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. What a weekend of highs and lows for Chelsea. Saturday's derby defeat at West Ham stuck in the craw, but my word, how about that FA Cup final on Sunday? Stupendous stuff from Emma Hayes' treble winners. Uh, It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, back to talk all things Chelsea in the company of Simon Johnson. Hello. Hello. And Dominic Fifield. Hello, Matt. Hello, Dom. Right, we'll get to the misery at the London Stadium later, but first, it's time to celebrate... Chelsea again, Kerr Flagger stayed down, Sam Kerr for Chelsea, little dink, what a goal, what a goal to seal the FA Cup victory, outstanding finish by an outstanding goal scorer, Chelsea have dominated the FA Cup final of 2021, they scored early, they should have had five by half time, they now have three, Arsenal have been outclassed and beaten out of sight. London is blue, and when the third goal went in, I was simply purring. And with us to talk Chelsea FCW, the incomparable Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hi, Flo. Hey, guys. How you doing? Very good. Uh, We're going to start today by reflecting on Sunday's wonderful Wembley win. Chelsea's women claim the FA Cup for the third time in the club's history, at the same time securing a domestic treble slash quadruple as last season's final was played out at a rain-soaked Wembley. A comprehensive 3-0 win for Emma Hayside saw Frank Kirby put them ahead after just three minutes and then Sam Kerr scored twice after half-time. Flo, I mean, Arsenal were absolutely awful in this game, but how good were Chelsea? Chelsea were very good. Chelsea were very, very good. Um, It was a real shock, actually, I think, just how bad Arsenal were. Uh, A completely different game to what we saw at the Emirates on the opening weekend of the season, which isn't surprising because 
Chelsea were very early on in their season at that point. They hadn't, I think they'd only played one pre-season game against Aston Villa. A lot of their Olympic stars had only just returned from holiday or playing in, in the Olympic Games, hadn't really trained much and didn't start in that. So it was the first time Mahes has also played with a back three and they do look a lot more confident. Defensively, Chelsea were very, very good yesterday. They never really looked under threat worried, unsettled, uncomfortable, which is surprising because even at points this season against against sides that have struggled, I mean, Manchester City being one of them, was, there were still moments in those wins that Chelsea had against Manchester City where their defence looked a little bit shaky. But there was never a moment yesterday where Chelsea looked under pressure whatsoever. They were just very calm and they were very good at, at using the ball effectively because... Arsenal were sort of adamant on trying to play these diagonal passes that Leah Williamson does so well. And lots of women, Moy, to her credit, did well against Manchester United in their last league game before the international break. But she had a very bad day yesterday. Playing alongside a, I think, not fully fit Jen Beattie, picked up a knock um, uh, for Scotland and and dropped out of that squad. But started yesterday, but she didn't look... She didn't look sort of, yeah, sharp enough. So they were playing alongside each other and they were just all over the place. Lotto and Moy kept playing these diagonal balls, which were just getting gobbled up by by Chelsea. Um, but the way they moved the ball was was very smart. They were really good in transition. Uh, Menely Loopholz in the, in the centre of midfield and Sophie Ingle playing a little bit behind her um, were just so calm on the ball and Arsenal just couldn't do anything, just couldn't do anything. Any sort of little bit of space that they found was just completely um, swamped on very quickly. I think it was smart as well the way Emma Hayes set up her side because she played with the back three and Cuthbert and Wrighton as, as wing-backs. Cuthbert had a brilliant game at right wing-back. She's been really good this season. But then they had, she had Sophie Ingle just sitting in front of in front of them and we haven't seen that so much this season but it just provided a little extra safety net for that back three who still aren't probably that comfortable, I don't think, as a back three. Jess Carter hasn't had the best season but Sophie Ingle was just sort of this calming, almost sweeper presence. So any time there was a hint of trouble, any time Kim Little might break free from a, a challenge... You know the the threat was just extinguished pretty quickly. Um, so just from so Ann Berger onwards, it was a fantastic performance. Yeah, got a team selection spot on, didn't she? Would have been easy to to pick a harder or a G, but but coming back from injury in the other side of the world, respectively, she she left them on the bench and, and brought them on later. Um, how about that persistence from Sam Kerr? Because she had a couple of shocking misses by her standards in the first half, and then she scored. I don't know one of the greatest cup final goals ever. After she'd um, after she'd made it two 0 yeah, that that third goal was just ridiculous. An amazing, amazing goal. I was like speechless, really, just jaw to the floor. It was unbelievable. And yeah, another player as well who'd been on the other side of the world playing in Australia. A lot of people weren't sure if she was going to start, um, but she's a big game player. And Emma Hayes was saying afterwards that she she was she wasn't going to let Chelsea lose that match. She was going to make sure, regardless of how tired she was, um, you know, regardless of the jet lag, that she, that Chelsea were going to win that match. So even though she missed those huge opportunities, you know, two one-on-ones I think she had in the first half, um, you know, that she was going to put that right. And um, yeah, she was brilliant yesterday, as was Fran Kirby. I mean, she, uh, Emma Hayes said afterwards she thinks it's the best match Fran Kirby's ever played for Chelsea. And she was really, really good, really, really good yesterday. Um, you know, Sam Kerr will sort of take the headlines with that third goal, but Kirby was so important to, to Chelsea's victory. 
Is there a danger that we kind of overestimate the impact that this might have psychologically on the on the title race? You saw Jonas Ederval, he looked absolutely crushed, didn't he, at full time? But it can't be that significant, can it, given there's only one more league game to go between the teams? It's an interesting one. I, I'm trying to work out the impact this will have on the league because, like you said, Jonas Ederval did kind of look like a broken man and it's interesting as well with Arsenal having to play Barcelona in just a couple of days how they do bounce back from this because they can't they can't moan and and sit on this result for too long because that's just not time. Um, Chelsea got Juventus at, at Kings Meadow on Wednesday, so equally they need you know hopefully the hangover's not too bad. I've been looking at a few Instagram pictures today, and I think I think they partied fairly hard yesterday. But you know, it'd be interesting how because Chelsea aren't guaranteed yet uh, out of that. They're in a very good place to get out of the group stage of, the, of their of their group, but they still got to get you know, a good result on Wednesday and make sure that they don't lose to Wolfsburg uh, in a, a couple of weeks' time. So there's still a lot to play for. But in terms of WSL, yeah, I, 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 I just have a feeling this is going to really hurt Arsenal. And I think with all the noise around that Arsenal team this season and that performance at the Emirates, I think maybe people have got a little bit swept up in that and had really thought that Arsenal were going to potentially like sweep the board and Jonas Edeval was going to have achieved so much in such a short space of time with this team and I think this is a bit of maybe a crash back down to earth for them that you know a side like Chelsea that have played together more or less the same group now for at least two years with a couple of you know additions here or there like they are you know they are still the the big the big hitters in town and it's going to take a little bit more to dethrone them Um, but I, I would imagine you know playing that that next league game, like you said, between them is going to be at King's Meadow as well. Emma Hayes will be feeling very confident about Chelsea's recent record there against Arsenal. And with Arsenal dropping points against Spurs just a couple of weeks ago, you know, the, the gap has really shortened. It's only a point now, I think, between them. So she'll be pretty, feeling pretty confident that the, the title race is, is, is theirs for the taking. Hi, Flo. Um, I, I tweeted words this effect... Um after Sam's goal. Um, it didn't seem that long ago that um, on this very pod we were discussing, oh, you know, Sam Kerr is a bit like the women's version of Timo Werner, um, sort of struggling for goals. But she's obviously been sort of fantastic for a while now. Is, is there a reason you know, that the, the change in form or is it just simply because she's sort of a bit more settled in the team now? I think there's a couple of things. I mean, Emma Hayes in the post-match was sort of laughing at the fact that people had said that Sam Kerr wasn't going to light up the WSL or wasn't going to get used to playing in England, etc., etc. I think it's a couple of things. I think, obviously, that first season of hers was kind of disjointed because she... We, you know, we played what like two and a bit months, and then the pandemic came along, and and she it took her a while to find her feet and score her first goal. Then the then the league was ending because of the pandemic. Um, so I think that was part of it. But I also think. The partnership with Frank Kirby is a massive part. I mean, Sam Kerr's played her best when Frank Kirby's been fully fit and firing, and I think that's made a massive difference as well. I perhaps don't think we would have seen this sort of form from Sam Kerr if she hadn't have been alongside Frank Kirby, and they've both sort of been peaking at the same time. And I think that's why we're seeing the, the best of Sam Kerr is she's got an unbelievable strike partner and they set up each other constantly. I mean, even regardless of the goals that that Sam Kerr scored yesterday. I think Fran Kirby set her up like three times in those chances that she missed. So it could have been it could have been a hat trick of assist potentially for for Fran Kirby for for Sam Kerr. So I think that's that's been a massive part of it. And I think 
Kerr has pushed on since Penelope Harder joined as well. I think it's just kind of helped her sort of level up. Um, but I think it did take her a little bit of time. I think I think these things do. Um, but I think also with Sam Kerr, it's just like the sheer number of chances she creates as well is is also probably why a lot of people were thinking, well, like how is she struggling to score? Because even on a bad day, Kerr might score two and she would have had like eight chances. So it's just like, you know, how many of them drop? She's already got a hat-trick this season. She scored a, a hat-trick in, a, in the League Cup final last season. So, yeah, she's just, she's just prolific, really. Um, finally, Flo, you, you mentioned the Champions League there and, and Juventus coming up midweek. I just wonder, is, is this going to be the, the last chance or maybe the penultimate chance for this group to win that competition and, and you know, keep hoarding trophies? Because I'm looking at, at the team that started yesterday. Frank Kirby, Sam Kerr, both 28. Millie Bright, 28. Magda Eriksson, the same. A couple of 30-year-olds in, in G and Sophie Ingle. It, it, it's not quite now or never, but it's not far off that for this group. Yeah, and I think unfortunately for this group and for Chelsea fans... I just don't think they're good enough this season and I don't think they've shown that in the Champions League either. They've been quite shaky in their Champions League group games so far and I think they really need to show something. They need to they need to get a good result on Wednesday, I think, to build some confidence in that competition because they've been a little bit all over the place so far. Um, so I, I don't give them a, a, a massive chance of, of winning it. I mean, it's not just the Barcelona fat like thing, you know, everyone knows Barcelona are the best team in the world right now. So I don't I don't just think it's that. It's it's even potentially getting to the final and playing a team like Barcelona. I don't know if if Chelsea are up are up to it at this point in time. I think in the English sort of WSL bubble, I think it is really hard to get a benchmark of where you are against other sides in Europe. Um and I think some of the teams there at the moment have looked really 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 good um but I think yesterday is important for Chelsea to build confidence playing bigger sides and just like putting them away easily because we know that the best sides in WSL can do that against smaller oppositions that that's not you know they can score eight goals and they know you know that's fine but I think it was important to sort of show your muscle really against a a a big team with big stars thanks Flo always a pleasure cheers Flo Cheers, guys. The hammering has just started, so good time. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're going to talk about the hammers. So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Antonio is with him. He overlaps one way than the other. The cr- oh, it's gone in! That's incredible! <laughs> Masuaku shoots from an impossible angle! And Mendy gets his legs all wrong and can only palm the ball into the net! I don't believe it! West Ham lead for the first time this afternoon! 
listen, if, if, we, if we won this game, which was possible, we, we, nobody would have given us the title. And uh, if we lose it like today, I, I don't think that anybody else gets it after, after this weekend. So we, uh, it's just another example that you need to stay focused and uh, take care about the details, because in the details, we have to improve. We've had a kind of difficult week, I think, and the game midweek, we come away with three points where maybe we shouldn't have and we make mistakes that we, we don't normally do and, and the same again today. West Ham 3, Chelsea 2. The Blues suffering a first away defeat in the Premier League this season and as a consequence of that, and Liverpool and Man City both winning, dropping down to third in the table. Uh, Simon, it, it feels like this was coming. Poor against Man United, lucky against Watford, beaten at West Ham. Yeah, and, and more, I'd say, the defence starting to sort of cost Chelsea. It's been very much the foundation of Chelsea's title challenge, but they've conceded in four of the last five games and it's it, it's the manner of the goals that's the most alarming. It's not like opponents are, are, are doing sort of moments of magic. It's just real sloppiness. And I, I don't know whether that's the fatigue of, of midweek weekend, midweek weekend, starting to catch up with them, the pressure of, of having to be sort of so focused um, whether injuries uh, are starting to take their toll too and it's upset the rhythm. But we're talking about seasoned, experienced players making very basic mistakes. Um, and it was summed up really Saturday with, with West Ham's first goal. Um, West Ham had done pretty much nothing. Chelsea were in total control of the game. And a poor, weak Jorginho back pass, um, another mistake from him, was compounded by Mendy, who who's who's always been a bit suspect with the ball at his feet, but in in the last week or two, he's looked even more nervous than normal, um, and he he just dilly dallied on the ball, and um, and that that just sort of set the tone, and he sort of felt like the West Ham and the and the West Ham fans sensed that weakness in in Chelsea's defensive third whenever they had the ball. Um, I think Dom said in his piece that you know Thiago Silva even caught the disease before West Ham's goal by well, two sort of very basic errors from him that almost sort of well led to efforts on goal. But very disappointing. Yes, there was a bit of fortune, you know, in terms of West Ham's uh, winner. But uh, yeah, a little bit alarming that, that, that this isn't just. It's not. It wasn't just about luck, as you said, Matt. It, it's kind of been coming. Uh Dom, Simon references your post-match piece for The Athletic there. It's, it's about the fact that Chelsea aren't getting the details right, which is what Thomas Tuchel said post-match too. How do you, how do you fix that? It's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because individual mistakes are kind of difficult to, to train out of players, I suppose. Yeah, and particularly if they're born of, of mental and physical fatigue. And he, he, did, he didn't want to use the excuse um, of, of injuries disrupting things at, at Chelsea at present and it, he shouldn't and he's quite right in that because that bench that Chelsea had at, at West Ham would be the envy of actually every other team in the Premier League including Manchester City um, and Liverpool so he, he but, the, but the reality is that those injuries have disrupted things I mean there hasn't been a uh it hasn't been a particularly impressive reaction to the Ben Chilwell injury at left wing back. I think Marcus Alonso has failed to impress there um, to date. But then he's suffering from a back problem, as as Tuchel pointed out post-match. Um, 
N'Golo Kante in midfield is a massive, massive loss. It's no coincidence that the other two occasions in his 53 games where they've conceded more than one goal were also in the absence of, of Kante against Aston Villa at the end of last season against West Brom quite early on in his tenure. Um, so, again, the options in midfield have been decimated. Matteo Kovacic's reputation just continues to soar in absentia. I think typically that's that's what happens when when players are absent they people build them up um but he is a loss that's the reality of it um and i think there's been a lot i mean the fact that you lose chaloba that this reluctance to play cesar aspilicueta as a right-sided um center half at the moment which has really been there for a, a couple of months now hasn't it so i think he hasn't played in in that role it's it's put a strain on on the back line as well and when you've got players making uncharacteristic errors i think i think that is really born probably 70% down mental fatigue and and 30% down the fact they're exhausted because of the the schedule uh but the reality is as you say there's no respite here the, the schedule isn't going to change it's it's one thing after another it's cup competitions it's 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 the blooming club world cup in february it's 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 utterly relentless for the foreseeable future so in many ways this loss of form is really untimely. If if you're if you're going into this rush of games in December, um, you know, with confidence, with momentum, then it can really work in your favour. The other way, it can unravel pretty quickly. So there's got to be a bit of he's got to guard against that, and he's got to use games like Zenit and Petersburg away, which is effectively a dead rubber, to try and build up the confidence in some of the players that are. That are suffering at the moment and try and get a goal out of Lukaku, try and build a bit of belief in that back line as well. And it's, it's a test. It's a test that he's right, he's risen to before, and it's a, he's more than capable of, of of doing good things with. But it but it is a test. I think one of the things we should also say is that I thought the defeat was very similar to the three two loss under Frank Lampard in two twenty, and particularly uh, Antonio um, starting to beat up. Chelsea's centre-halves. Um, he did that in 2.20. Um, it took him a bit longer to do that on, on Saturday. But but when he got going in the second half, he, he really seemed to rattle that back three, including Rudiger. Um, I thought it was one of Rudiger's weakest performances um, defensively that we've seen for quite a while. And it, he seemed to really unnerve him, his presence. Um, and also, we, we should highlight the fact that West Ham are a good side. Um, like it's not like you know obviously no defeat's great for Chelsea but Liverpool lost their three two only last month so it's it's not a, a catastrophe and it and it it did take a, a ridiculously fluky goal to to win the game I think a point would have been a would have been a fair result but um but then you know the likes of uh, Watford and Brentford may have been moaning about the results they were on the receiving end of so I spot on about um. Antonio and the remarkable thing about Saturday was that actually at half time I, I turned to our West West Ham correspondent and said blimey your lot look absolutely knackered they look as if they're properly at breaking point here they just lost Johnson on the stroke of half time um, they by the end of the game they were actually playing without their first choice back line so I mean talk about injuries affecting a team it's affected West Ham more than more than most but the way that Antonio roused himself at half time and from from what was a bit of a mess of a performance prior to that to 
to completely bullying centre-halves. But moreover, I mean, Callum Hudson-Odoi is not going to be operating at left wing-back very much if, he, if that's what they, people do to him. I mean, I know Antonio is good, but he just he was just barging him off the ball with, with, with little resistance uh, being offered at all. And that that's a bit troubling, really. Because that's potentially one of the other options that left wing back gone there. I, I don't. I just can't see in big games against against opponents who are that mobile and that aggressive how how he Kugel could potentially go down that route route again. So maybe you you are looking at well at some point maybe we have to see Saul play there. Yeah, I, I think you do have to pick and choose when you play a Hudson Odoi at wing back anyway, and I don't think West Ham away. Is, is the kind of game you do it. Obviously, circumstances um, with Alonso's back made that a, a, almost a necessity. But I think I think you, you, you play Alonso if you can more often than not. And Hudson-Odoi plays in games where, if you are going to play at left wing back, you play him in games where you know Chelsea are going to dominate the ball. I'd say sort of home games, essentially. And therefore, he can sort of take the help, take the attack to the opposition. Because we actually saw him take up so many good positions um, in, in West Ham's final third. Didn't make the most of them, but that he saw the potential threat that, that he could provide from that position. But as Don rightly says, defensively, um, he was completely out of his depth, I have to, I have to say. And uh, Antonio swatted him away like he was uh, a, a school kid. You know, it was uh, that, that, that one 50-50 challenge where he just shouldered him off the ball was... Um, I thought that sent out a statement at that point of the game and, and, and it, it really felt like the subs actually, the subs just didn't work. Chelsea got worse and it was quite interesting to see Hakim Ziyech's body language when he was subbed because I thought he'd played quite a good game and for him to come off, okay, there were obviously circumstances potentially, um, but yeah, you can see he was quite deflated to come off at the hour mark. It's amazing really that that a team that that has lost as many players as West Ham have when they when they lose Zuma to injury, the latest player to sort of limp off the field, they don't go into their shell. They bring on Fournals as a as a replacement. <laughs> yeah, and job. ask him to play midfield, Declan Rice drops back. I mean, that is a team that senses vulnerability. And we haven't said that a lot about about Chelsea this season. In fact we haven't said that a lot about Chelsea under Tuchel. Um but but look if you've got if you've got players carrying Knocks and niggles. I mean, he, he he mentioned what Jorginho's hip, I think, was a a problem that's been plaguing him recently. And, and look, Lukaku is not a player that looks ready to start a game. He doesn't look ready to have forty five minutes. I mean, he barely got a a touch, and that, that's in that in the forty five minutes he did play. And that that is partly down to the service, definitely, but also a lot down to his his movement. Um, if you've got players who aren't fully fit and confidence is suddenly a bit brittle then this is the type of thing that happens Christ a good job Chelsea won the FA Cup isn't it otherwise it'd be all right. <laughs> Debbie Downer of an episode. Uh, before we move on from West Ham let, let me add some levity to proceedings we, we mentioned Mikel Antonio there it's always worth pointing out that he crashed his Lamborghini into a bin shed whilst dressed as a snowman on Christmas Day um, there you go ho ho That's ho a cheery end to the, to the West Ham <laughs> uh, we spin on to Zenit it's 5.45 UK time on Wednesday permutations for the Blues are thus they'll will finish first either if they win if they draw and Juventus don't win or if 
Juventus lose. Uh, Simon, we've kind of touched on team news there. I do think this would be the ideal game to start Saul at, at left wing back, but but I'm interested in who starts up front because Havertz looked in, in real discomfort when he hobbled off at half-time, but Dom's just kind of said there that, that Lukaku's not ready for 45, let alone 90. So what's your front three looking like for this game? I think you have to play Lukaku. You have to get this guy fit. You have to get him scoring. Um, his second half display wasn't good enough, whether he was still not match fit yet or not. Um, he needs to do more. He needs to get this end this goal drought because it, it it's just going to become more and more of a talking point each each appearance he makes without a goal. Um, so yeah, even if it takes. Even if it means sort of only playing sixty minutes or or seventy minutes and then bringing him off and 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 therefore having him for the weekend, you have to suspect Havertz isn't going to play. Obviously, because that that looked like a painful blow on his ankle. Um, so yeah, um, it's it's for me Lukaku and then two others. You know that my main priority would be to get Lukaku fit and firing. Uh, elsewhere, Dom, I'd be thinking maybe about a, a midfield two of Loftus Cheek and Barkley. Maybe also leave Thiago Silva at home. Maybe even give Kepper a go if, if Mendy's head's not right. Leave him at home and, and let him have a rest for the week. Yeah, I can see all of those. That's that's. I think they're all eminently sensible moves. Um, you can bring back in a an Aspilicueta potentially as well to to give. Reese James another a bit of a breather at right wing back. He didn't he didn't look fully fit either to be honest um, in, in that role on Saturday. Um, you you can get drawn against really good teams whether you win the group or not in the Champions League. That's the, the reality of it. I, I, it would be nice for them to to win there and or at least to, to better Juventus's result and 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 ensure that they do top the section, but. It's almost as if they have to look at the bigger picture at the moment and and look to Leeds at the weekend and um, and yeah and refresh where they can and I mean Thiago, I'm still amazed at someone who's 37 can play three times in a week, let alone what are you now five times in 15 days? I don't know what it is. It's ridiculous. His, his workload is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so yeah, giving him a bit of a just a chance to to catch his breath and and yeah and and take stock this week. Um, I mean, likewise, Rudiger. To be honest, I mean, Rudy. We, we sort of take Rudiger for granted. He's 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 in the team every week. He the, these guys are not they're not machines. They they, they if there is an opportunity, and you know, a dead rubber in the Champions League in midweek is as good an opportunity as Chelsea are ever going to have in this schedule to give people a breather. Then then take it and. Yeah, and 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 offer the fringe players as as much game time as ever. I mean, we all want to see Malang Sarr in the Champions League. Let's be honest. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, bring he's on played Malang that before, Sarr. in fairness, hasn't he, for Porto? Yeah, so. Malang Sarr show. Yeah, um, all, all I wanted to, to, to sort of highlight because I just felt it should should be highlighted, even though we have moved on to Zenit, is Mason Mount and Loftus Cheek. I don't think deserve to be on the losing side on Saturday. Mason Mount is. Got over his wisdom teeth issue. <laughs> he's he's uh he's back to his best. Um, superb display on Saturday, and I thought off the sheet actually outshone Jorginho. Not just because Jorginho did a bad back pass, but I thought off the sheet actually had a good game on on Saturday, and and um, yeah, so he it would be good to see him start. Not so much Mount, you know, maybe sort of 
another one to wrap up in cotton wool. But um, with with potentially sort of midfielders returning soon, sooner rather than later, hopefully, sort of keep uh, keep giving Ruben as much game time as possible. It's going to be interesting to see what eleven Thomas Tuchel starts with. Seventeen forty-five, if you're using the twenty-four hour clock, is the kickoff time UK-wise. As I say, uh, we will of course react to it on Thursday's pod. Zenit, by the way, already assured of third place and uh, Europa League spot, which might help Chelsea. Out. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the development squad's difficult season continued on Friday night. They were beaten 3-1 at Derby County. Jude Soonset Bell had given the Blues an early lead, but Derby scored thrice in quick succession in the second half to take the points. Uh, the under-21s have been drawn, disappointingly, against Arsenal's under-21s in the next round of the Papa John's Trophy. That tie due to be played in the first week of January. And there was a big win for the under-18s on Saturday against Arsenal. They hammered them 4-1 at Cobham, courtesy of goals from Leo Castledine, Tudor Mendel, Idowu, Malik Mothersill and Lewis Flower. All right, before we go, Simon, tell us about your piece on, on Rhys James because it kind of slipped by unnoticed that um, he made his 100th appearance for Chelsea at the weekend, but you went to talk to his old man about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great shame, really, that um, his 100th game wasn't the most memorable, but that shouldn't detract from what a magnificent story this is. And yes, I went to, to meet his dad, Nigel, um, at the scene of where it all began, really, the, the football pitch where... As a, as a young, and I'm talking very, very young boy, uh, Rhys James started first kicking a football and would spend hours and hours and hours with his, his elder brother, Joshua. Lauren was also uh, around um, and they, they would spend hours just working on their game, um, so much so that they would they would order the, order the parents to buy tomato soup uh, for it to be put in a flask so they could bring it to the goal with them so they wouldn't have to waste any precious time uh, heading in for for some dinner. Um, what didn't make the piece actually, it was kind of cute. Was uh, was one of the neighbours came out and and started talking to to Nigel and, and myself, and it was the classic sort of oh you know sort of old man going oh oh I remember them being this high. I'm, uh, for the benefit of audio, I'm, I'm my hand is low to the ground. Oh, I remember Lauren and Reese, and, and, and it, to be honest. Bit like me, it was hard to shut him up. Uh, <laughs> me and Nigel sort of had to sort of drop a few hints. Go, yeah, that's great. Uh, now leave us alone. But it's 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 a really in depth piece. I think about... to this. <laughs> yeah, it's a really it's a really in depth piece, really, about how 
sort of not only did Reese work on his game, his first football club, Q Park Rangers, how he made um, this big first impression in front of Chelsea scouts at a tournament in Cobham. We then spoke to Wigan, had to be a big chapter of the piece because he was so outstanding there. Uh, Cal Naismith, um, big friend of his, former teammate, um, drops an anecdote about how Reese money doesn't change Reese. Uh, at all he said he could be a rich man or a poor man he'd still be the same character but bemoan the fact that they went to Starbucks about a hundred times and Reese only paid for their coffees three times um, <laughs> I don't think he's holding a grudge and then and then finally sort of going back to to Nigel and, and talking how he sees Reese, and he, he says his goal as in Nigel's goal and Reese's goal is to be Chelsea captain um, he says it was a great quote he said when uh, people speak Chelsea, I want them to speak Rhys James. And I, and I think that sort of sums up. This guy is 21, 100 appearances already. He's He may be quiet when in front of a microphone, but he's making a big noise with his football boots. And by the way, there's a great picture of Rhys's first football boots in the piece, size three and a half with the RJ on the side. Uh, so that's a lovely little article. Meanwhile, Dom, not content with wrecking Ian Martin's season, I noticed that you've now doomed an entire championship club. You and Nancy yeah. Frostic teaming up to write about QPR and then they get stuffed at home by Stoke on Sunday. Look, people should know that they shouldn't let me into their football clubs or anywhere near their football clubs. It should be... I've been doing this for long enough for people to realise that. Yeah, look, I, 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 the QPR story is more long-term. It's a, It's... It's recovering from the the excesses of the mid middle of the last decade when when Simon Johnson was covering them and they seemed intent upon buying. <laughs> Just recovering right from center. that alone. <laughs> um, they are a club on the up. Mark Warburton's a really really sensible man, really really good manager, uh, somebody who's who's experienced life outside football and and, and knows how things work. And I, th- I think that the club have. have and he, I'm uh, thinking along the same lines. They're looking long term, um, new training ground in the offing. They will recover. They're, they're still, they're still very much in the in the picture in a very, very unpredictable division. Um, and yeah, in fairness, actually, it's been a really good season for West London football. When you look at what Chelsea, what Chelsea have been doing, and Fulham obviously marching ahead at the top of the, the championship as well. At QPR's revival, Brentford doing so well in the Premier League. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time for the for the area. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. You get brilliant Chelsea coverage, but also not just on Premier League clubs, but the EFL as well. All right, we'll be back on Thursday to react to the midweek action, preview the weekend's games and see if Liam and Sam can maintain the astonishingly high level of quizmanship. Until then, from Lucy, from Dom, from Simon and to me, many thanks for your company today. We'll catch up with you on Thursday. <laughs>